a brand new book out. It is really important that we get the message of it. There's also a new theology study from Ligonier. We will talk about that and much more on today's Corey Truax Show. show and I'm just really excited about the things that I have in my notes to discuss. I believe it's going to be a fun one, but before we get started, my name is Corey Truax, securing the blessings of liberty since 1986. We are also dedicated here to better, smarter, deeper talk about everything. We're going to do a lot of that today, and I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church in Greenville, South Carolina. We meet downtown Greenville at Greenville High School, 1030 on Sunday mornings, you are always invited. Before I get into this actual content, really quick word. Thank thank you for when you respond to uh, listening to the show. I, I, um, I mean, it was planned last week. Something I said was planned, but not practiced. Like, I knew I was going to make a given point, and then I got, a, I got more response than I anticipated. Let me say it that way. When I went through the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments... Apparently, no one, none of you have heard it that way before. At least a lot of you thought that was great. That was a great way to remember the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments, that it's, it's really the answer to questions. What happens if I'm suspected of a crime? What happens if I am uh, indicted or charged with a crime? What happens if I am convicted of that crime? What are my rights? Or just thinking through the First Amendment, I got some response on this, that it was an actual logical, artistic order. There's apparently some hunger in this audience, to actually talk about and learn about the Constitution and fundamental things. I think I'm going to try to do that some more, because that's just that's just a foretaste. There are some gems in the Constitution that we just, and its 27 amendments, that you, you should really know about, that will make you deeply appreciate the, the grace that God has had, God has given United States and its foundation and its its later leaders uh, and a lot of wisdom that there is definitely things are being done on purpose. You know, sometimes you're part of an organization. Maybe it's where you work. Sometimes it's been a church. Sometimes it's even been your family. Maybe it was your parents and you really wondered, why are we doing this thing this way? And it all seemed arbitrary. It, often that can be your perception. It's not actually arbitrary. But man, the Constitution of the United States is very much not arbitrary, especially the actual articles in the first 10 amendments. So we might do some more of that in the future. But thank you for your feedback on that portion last week. Here is where I want to begin. I think Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, is the most important person in Washington, D.C. He is speaking my language. In an interview on NPR this week, he sort of even just opened up with the statement, we really don't like each other, do we? Just as a general rule in the United States, we, we just, especially you meet someone you don't agree with, just natural inclination, I don't like that person. I'm not that way. I hope you're not that way. I have some liberal friends that I think are not that way, but... I think that is our natural inclination when we encounter someone online, encounter someone in person, that if they express an opinion different in ours, we don't have any interest in it, we have no curiosity for it, we're just mad at them, we don't like them. I think Ben Sass is trying to offer solutions. He has a new book out. 
I've been trying to work through the audio book version called Them. And it's the, the title is in, indicative of its theme. It's a theme that I talk about on this show a lot, where we just have split the country into groups, and it's them, they, they're the problem. They have to be defeated. They have to be destroyed. And he gets deeper into what caused this. And so let me give you his first... His his first culprit, a theme that he's picked up as a as as what's caused this. What's what's some of the chief underlying reasons that's broken our discourse and broken our brains so much? He says it's loneliness. He goes back, and I, I'm using some of his points. I'm also using some of mine here, by the way. Uh, I'm not just gonna steal Ben Sass's book here for the show because uh, he inspired some other thoughts for me, some other things that need to get said. But the beginning of this book is just identifying a truth. We are a lonely people. There's a book back in 2000 called Bowling Alone and it starts to map through, even back in 2000, something that's been exasperated here in 2018 that social fabric and social structures have been so affected by the internet that it's created an epidemic of loneliness. Just start thinking through the the average American life 30 years ago. You go 50 years ago. You got married typically in your early 20s. It was rare that you moved out of your hometown. And if you did move away out of your hometown, you moved within an hour or two hours away. There's actually census data on this. You had a job that you kept for a long time, and you became very deep, abiding friends with the people in that job. When you changed jobs, it was emotionally affecting because you had been with those people for so long, and you really only had had three or four jobs, if that many, in your life because you stayed in one place. You were involved in your local church. You were around that community 50 years ago, 40 years ago. That was very normal. And if you weren't involved in your local church, or maybe even if you were in addition to it, you were part of YMCA groups and Lions Clubs and social engagement and doing Little League. This was all very normal. You know, I I even think, I'll give you an illustration of this. Consider now and then back then, the idea of giving someone a gift to thank them for something. I'm not, I'm not about to complain about the internet age. I love the internet age. It, it's, it has some costs. The benefits totally outweigh the costs. But there are some costs. We should identify the costs. Most of them are social fabric issues. So just consider the situation where you decide you want to get someone a present. Okay, well, you're going to a mall, you're going to several stores, you're looking around, you are interacting with salespeople and uh, maybe someone at the cashier, you are asking questions of a salesperson, you're at least having to walk by some other people, uh, and you're having to go to a bunch of places and interact with other people. I heard a similar illustration to this where they added on, maybe you even have to go somewhere else to get it to get it wrapped or something like that. And so you've had interactions with a bunch of people. Uh, you've put some work into this. And how do you do it now? I go to my Amazon Prime account. I search for the thing I would want to give that person. And in really one click, I can have it shipped to them. And even there, 
that person is not going to have it delivered by a human. It's going to be sitting in a box on their on their porch when they get back from somewhere, and they're going to get their their gift from me. No human, there's really no human interaction involved in it at all. Now, I'll go back to my chief example. The 40, 30 years ago where you're getting married young, you didn't move away from your family typically, you, you're, in, you're in your one job for a long time, you're involved in your local church, and if not your local church, then local civic organizations. And think about us now. The loneliness that we've created, and then there's consequences to the loneliness. Now, on average, I guess I'm late to the party if I'm on marriage or something, but it's uh, on average, the average man gets married, I think it's, six, it's 29 now, I think it's 29. Average woman gets married at almost 27 so it's later marriage. It is now really normal to move like crazy and move, and move far away. You know, I think of my two best friends in college. One's in D.C. right now. The other one's in San Francisco. It, except for my church family, I, I can identify a ton of people. There, no one's in Greenville anymore. No one's in the upstate. They, everyone moves around and then moves around often. They're not rooted in a place. I'll give you another example of this. You know, you, let's go even to the Bible here. It was a very normal thing that you were identified as the son of who, you know, the son of that person. Like even think about Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, the language used for him was, oh, uh, "Wait, isn't that isn't that Joseph's son?" That's what they said of him, and that that's even a thing here in Southern culture that. When you meet a new person, when I was growing up, that's the immediate connection people make. Oh, well, who, who's your family? Who, tell me about your aunts and uncles. And they find a connection of someone they, you know in your line. And now there is none of that. We're not connect, connected by family name or family line. It's actually seen as a, a point of pride. You've sort of made it in American culture if you are totally unidentified with anything but what you've done, what you've built. You've not come or come from anybody, emanated from anything. You are totally self-made. And there's not that connection back to, well, this is my dad, and these are my siblings, and this is what made me up. And so there's this delayed marriage. There's this moving around like crazy, a, a lack of actually identifying with Family, I've told you before about the jobs thing. My generation is going to work on average for eight different employers. That's over double our parents. I mean, here I am at 32. I've worked for two major employer and two different places in my life, two fairly long-term jobs, I guess. One is four years. The other one's going on six years. And I uh, I expect that's, that's going. I'm going to be normal and typical and do a bunch of different things. And so those long-term relationships with the job don't settle in. Now, I have the one... I'm weird as a millennial. I'm one of the eldest of millennials. I'm very involved in my church. I consider that to be my family. I, I am weird as a, as a millennial. I do live within 10 miles of all my brothers and sisters and my parents. But I, I'm not really even involved in most community groups. And I've even noticed it with people that are otherwise rational human beings that I know. They are, they seem to be scared of people. Like they can't look, can't look anybody in the eye, but also they actually think 
that the world is dangerous is they don't want to go be involved in little league. They don't want to. They don't want to go be involved in a civic or social engagement because they're afraid it's going to cause them a a social discomfort because they're actually afraid something physically bad is going to happen. And so we cloister ourselves into our homes. We cloister ourselves into our screens, and we're lonely. And so that leaves us with some consequences. So if we establish that loneliness is a problem in us, that the way we've changed our lives through technological advancement, that has it's driven us to feel lonely, here's what we need to do next. What's the consequences of that? What's it led to? What are we trying to replace identity with, that we used to find identity in these things, and our lifestyle, what's that driving us to? And that's what we're going to talk about next, again, primarily coming from Ben Sass's new book. It's called Them. We'll be back with more of the Corey Truax Show in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Connect to the show anytime you like on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. That's all the social medias, but also the podcast. If you would, be so kind to go like the show on any of those given uh, platforms that it's on. But I do mean this. It helps when you rate the show. So if you're a subscriber on iTunes, if you're a subscriber out there on Anchor, if you're a subscriber anywhere, and I, it, genuinely, I mean this, it's super appreciated when you subscribe. It actually, the way the iTunes formula works, the more subscribers I have and the more people who give me a five-star rating and will just write something quick, just like a quick review that says, I generally like some of the shows. As long as there's words written and it's a five-star review, I'm more likely to show up in someone's suggested podcast. So if someone's uh, if someone is subscribed to Steve Dace or Glenn Beck or something like that and they scroll down to suggestions, I might pop up there. Uh, so the more you rate the show and and talk about it, it's highly uh, highly appreciated. And get the show on demand. I was talking with a friend this week, um, eating at Farmhouse Tacos and Traveler's Rest. Uh, hi out there, uh, Samuel, if you are listening. Um, you can get the show on demand, and then it's uh, often commercial free, right? So uh, you should certainly go uh, go get the show on demand any of those places. It's iTunes, Apple Podcast, Anchor, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, com for that matter, SoundCloud, lots of different places to listen. I, it occurs to me as I go through that last segment here, I sound like an old curmudgeon in, in the good old days, that's how I sound right now, uh, the technology's ruined everything. If you know me, you know that's not true. I'm the guy who wants self-driving cars right now. I'm, I'm the guy who wants all kinds of technological advancement, but it's think it's worthwhile, from Ben Sass's new book in the, called Them, to recognize that some of the consequences of our technological advancement has been loneliness. That it has, it's relegated the necessity for human interaction to get through our lives, and so then we just cloister ourselves away and get lonely. So there's, and there's consequences to that. You know, before I get to the consequences, something else just occurred to me. I can't remember who gave this talk. But I learned from a lecturer, oh man, years ago. Oh, and from the top of my head, this is going to be rough. Here we go. Uh, that there were three big changes culturally that also uh, that had to do with technology that has led us to isolation, to feeling isolated from one another. And again, we're getting to a point. There's a point to feeling this way. The loneliness and the isolation has driven us to certain behaviors and thoughts, and that's what I want to try to get to. Here we go. It was land and money. That was one. So we went from a world 
a fairly agrarian world where the the barter system, the trade system, was actually something of a negotiation. I have this many. Uh, I don't. How do you measure milk? I have this much milk, gallons maybe. Uh, I have this many quarts of my goat milk. You know what? What of your grain? Uh, is that a shekel? Shekels of grain? I don't know how you measure these things. How, and you have to actually have a negotiation amongst one another, and or even of labor. I have this ability where I can do these things. What can you trade me for it? So it ends up being a face-to-face negotiation of how the economy worked. Or it was also very much hands-on. It was the land that belonged to the family for generations that led to peace and prosperity for that family and provision for that family. And then we switched to money. We switched to currency. And at least for some period of time, that actually still meant looking somebody in the face and writing them a check and putting it in their hand or handing them dollar bills it is now, I can actually have an app on my phone where I can, for a lot of places, show the face of my phone to a machine and it connects to my bank account, takes money, and we're, we're done. We're, we're finished with that. I've even noticed my own inclination. I, I don't like it about myself. I am now having to make a an effort not to do what I'm about to tell you. But I love quick trip gas stations, the, uh, the, the convenience stores. The, you might call it QT that I am in such a rush. I love these places because of their efficiency. I don't even make eye contact sometimes with the person who is processing what I've put on the counter there. Literally won't look at the other human. And I realize that when I try to do it, they're not looking at me. So this it's a very dehumanized and automated process for even making a purchase not just online shopping, but even in person. Forget about switching out humans for machines like a lot of fast food places are doing, but literally the human interaction, we don't even look each other in the face anymore. And so that was one of the big technological things where we went, when we went from land to money, it did isolate us in some way. And uh, the number two from that lecture back in the uh, your body. Uh, you, you went from what your body did to what machines do. We were so intimately involved in our work because it was physical. And even for someone who had more of a, a I work with uh, words job or I work with ideas job and not work with things, there were still things you had to interact with and do, at least for your own household, that made the work personal. And it made it long-term often because it was what you were doing with your body. And then we switched out, uh, so there, there was a revolution of moving from land to money, moving from your human body to machines, and then moving from wisdom to information. So we used to operate more on lessons learned from experience, and then applied those lessons learned to what new thing we would tackle. And now, this is not necessarily a bad thing, guys. I'm not downplaying the future or trying to denigrate where we are. I love where we are. There's all kinds of incredibly awesome things that have come from our technological advancement. We just want to also acknowledge there's been some costs. Again, I would I would argue the benefits greatly outweigh the cost. But there are some costs to our advancement. And so you also have this thing where we once had wisdom. Now we are just for the collection of information. We are for the collection of data. 
And sometimes data for data's sake, you know, even what I do in my day job in higher education, it's a data-driven industry. But I've even noticed in talking to colleagues from other universities, and I'm at North Greenville University. You should t- take a look at us, by the way, North Greenville University, ngu.edu. There is a lack in some of my colleagues in how to decipher data, how to find its meaning. Now, they seem to have a great deal of value when they want to collect it, collect data, collect data, collect information on people, collect information on students, collect information on potential customers. But the the skill of applying some wisdom to that collected data has fallen apart. And so you bring all these things together from, from the Ben Sass book and the other lecture I heard that there is this theme of where we've just isolated ourselves and it's it's come at some great benefit to us, but there's been some cost that we've created this loneliness. Let me give you that list again in fullness, and then what's the consequence of it? Here you go. So we've delayed marriage. We move away from our families. We move around a lot. We're, we're disconnected from, from whence we came. We are very transient in our jobs. We switch jobs a lot. Actually, Ben Sass' book had a great stat. I think it was like 40%. Like in the next 10 years, most experts think 40% of jobs will be temp jobs. That's, and it's that's just going to be the nature of the economy. They're going to be fine paying, and you can make a living, but it's just going to be very normal for everybody to be signed up with a temp agency. You work at one place for three months, and you move on to the next temp job, next temp job, next temp job. And so that idea of these long-lasting work friendships go away, and now how much we're all scared of each other, and literally physically, but also and social interaction, that we're not involved in our churches and we're not involved in social situations. We have the, the scenario where we just created this loneliness and, and even how we have, then the other one, land to money, our actual interactions and transactions, how we're not intimately involved in our work anymore because we, we use machines for it instead of our bodies and that we're just collecting information without actually applying wisdom. All of this has led to. We're uh, isolated people. And so what's that then do? Well, the human heart is going to find some meaning somewhere. It's going to find a way in which to connect it to something larger. And so, again, go to the American 40 or 50 years ago. They were connected to their... uh, I would start with church. That's the most important connection to me. With a faith family. A family that's literally eternal. It's connected more broadly to a literal, global, timeless family. Where you have that American being connected to that group where there's that person's accountable and finds some meaning in being a part of that. But, but then also finding some meaning in being, being a part of a marriage relationship that builds for the future into the next generation of child-rearing. That you might find some meaning in that I, I am proud of my last name. I'm from this family, this clan. These were my parents and my grandparents, and this is what they did, and this was this is their work. Uh, and think, think of this real quick. For your parents, if you're my age, if you're early 30s, if you're even a little younger than me, ask your parents if I'm right on this. Your parents' friends when they were teenagers... They knew their friend's parent's name. So my dad, Doug Truax Sr. I've not asked him this question. I guarantee he would say yes, though. Because I know the generation behind me. 
you, if I got him to name for me his three best friends in high school, he would know the names of those kids' parents. I think of my three best friends in college that I met at college. Like, I didn't grow up with them. I just met them there. No idea. No idea of what their parental situation Well, I mean, I, I knew if they had a single-parent situation, if they had step-parents. No idea what their names are. Because we were separated from that. We were independent of those things. And so we didn't come from that place. We were There's no way to find meaning in it. It wasn't even part of our, our story that this is where I come from. And so there's not finding meaning in that local church body. There's not finding meaning in this idea of the next generation through marriage and child rearing or my, my family history. Even some things that, where it's not healthy to find an identity. My job isn't giving me my identity because I, or at least back back then it would have been, it does give me my identity. I've been doing it for 20 years. I've been doing it for 30 years. I've been at this job for 40 years and I know how all this works. There was some meaning attached to it and that's all gone. Here's what the human heart is going to do. It's going to find meaning. And it goes and searches for it in some very large, not a majority, but a significant number of Americans found their potential for meaning, that they could feel like they're making an impact, that they won't be forgotten, that they matter on this planet to somebody. How? Politics. Politics is my church. Government is my church. Politics is my legacy. Government is my legacy. Not my marriage or my family or where I come from or the job I do or my church involvement or my civic uh, engagement in in a little league uh, and coaching kids or mentoring. No, politics, government, that's my meaning. And when you are in, when you are willing to put your meaning in that, you know what you're willing to do? Hate the person who would keep you from succeeding in it. So you, your side loses an election, loses a ballot initiative, loses a news cycle. That's an affront to who you are at your core. And that's what's led us here. There's been some other culprits. But this lack of meaning, this lack of... Uh, it's what loneliness drives. Loneliness drives this lack of finding a place to to emanate a, a legacy, to, to, to know that you're going to matter. And then folks start finding it other places, and some just giant group of people have tried to find it in government and politics and a culture war. And so that breaks us. So then you do have to ask, well, what do we do? Well, from a Christian perspective, of course, the gospel is, one, is always the first thing. Right? The gospel is always your first solution. I look at some of these studies and just realize, you know what we need to be doing is more evangelizing. This is the greatest deficit in my own life. Because where meaning needs to come, if it's actually going to be fulfilling, is spiritual first and foremost. It's going to be being in the, in the family of God, the eternal, timeless, global family of God. Beyond that, how do we, how do we address people's loneliness? I think we, we have to first address it in ourselves. 
I'm probably talking to somebody where this this does resonate with you. Guys, I'll, let me be honest. It resonates with me a little bit. I don't even know that I would have called the feeling I have sometimes lonely. But, you know, this time of year with my job, I'm on the road a lot. I'm actually talking to you right now from Charlotte, North Carolina. I am in a hotel room recording this. So just think about that for me for a minute. You know, I, I am uh, I am unmarried happily, with, but with my two dogs. Then, and even my dogs are back home, right? And the, the family I do have that I live close to, I'm isolated from at the moment. And I have been in this this job, but not, not for long. You know, uh, it's there. That's it's not it's not a place in which I find meaning. I, I love I love my church. I'd love to give more time to it, but even that doesn't fill up the week, right? And so, how how do we address it? Well, we first address it in ourselves. Attach yourself to something, and make it and make it a worthwhile, I would say, biblical thing. Attach yourself to a local church. Attach yourself to good theology that you you study and understand. If you, I, I think I might be, quote, gift of single, uh, I, I don't know my, my situation, but any, um, before I get into that too deeply, go find a social group. Do it, like, you, be a leader in this. Because as you solve it for yourself, you might be solving it for some other people. Go coach in Little little League. Don't be afraid of other people. Actually engage in other groups. Be kind when you get there. All right. The Ben Sass book is good. I think it's important. I would encourage you to read it. If you have any response to what we just discussed, I would love to hear it. Uh, Corey.truax at ngu.u. Corey.truax at ngu.edu is the email address. You can also just get the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Send me a message. Would love to hear any feedback on what we just discussed. I did me- I did mention theology there a minute ago, and there was a giant theology study that came out from Ligonier. Uh, I guess that was this week. Yeah. And so uh, I want to take a break. I want to come back and share with you those findings. Americans, those who identify as Christian and those who identify as not Christian, what the state of theology is amongst our countrymen. We will do that when we come back on The Corey Act Show. Let's play a game on the Corey Truax Show. It's going to maybe depress you a smidge, but nevertheless, we should play it. That game, uh, we'll just name on the fly. It's called The State of American Theology. Okay, uh, I'm going to ask you questions. I'd love for you to respond out loud in your mind, however you're inclined to do it. If, you're, if you are listening to this on podcast with earbuds in and there's people around, don't answer out loud. That'd be weird. right? No matter where you are, it'd be weird. I'm going to ask you some questions that Ligonier asked. Uh, Ligonier is the organization down in Florida that R.C. Sproul used to head up, they did this with some regularity, spent the money and the resources to do some real polling, to do some, to do some real scientific polling on what Americans thought about theological items. It's important for us to know this. If you are a Christian, it is important to know what is the milieu, what is the culture in which I am operating, what do people think and believe. And then some of this is discouraging in that it includes... Christians, people who are at least identifying as Christian, not thinking the right thing, having the theology wrong. So here we go. Uh, starting with Ligonier, they at, they had this statement, and they could just ask the question, do you agree or disagree? And then you could actually use 
strongly agree or strongly disagree. They asked this question, or she's made this statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? 52% of self-identified evangelicals agreed that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Real quick, no. The answer to that is that's not true. Uh, Romans 3, I would go with uh, verses 10 through 12, are really good on this. Uh, But to give you the short version, uh, there is none good, no, not one. Not everyone sins a little. Uh, We all sin a lot. Uh, And and in the face of a holy God, any sin is a giant sin. Uh, And no, no one is good by nature. Everyone is terrible by nature. It is only the Holy Spirit and in common grace that keeps us from doing a lot of horrible things. But over half of self-identified evangelicals said they agreed with that statement. How about this one? Do you agree or disagree with this one? God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 51% of evangelicals said they agreed. To clarify, no. God has revealed himself. Jesus said in John 4, 24, right somewhere in there, talking about the woman at the well that he wants to be worshipped in spirit, and in truth, and here's the truth, the God of Islam is not the God of Christianity. God does not accept the worship of all religions. He accepts the worship that he prescribes. He gives us in, he gives us in Scripture how he wants to be worshipped, and that is the worship that he accepts. But 51% of self-identified evangelicals says he accepts worship from anywhere. How about this one? God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. You want to hear some good news? 91% of self-identified evangelicals agree. So 91%, whether they they, they have it in practice or not, uh, they, they agree. Yep, people are saved by faith, not saved by their works. So there's some encouragement for you. How about this one? Do you agree or, agree or disagree with this? There is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 97% of self-identified evangelicals agree. That's good. There is one true, one true God in three persons, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This one is a theological one. You need to listen carefully to it. I wish, I wish it weren't so uncommon for people to hear the distinction in this in this phrase. When I read it, I immediately knew what they were trying to do, but I'm into this. I love theology. I read theology. I listen to a lot of sermons. I get into these things. Here was their statement. Do you agree or disagree with this? Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Do you agree or disagree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God? 78% of evangelicals self-identified agreed Here is why that's wrong. Jesus is not created. He's eternal. God did not create Jesus. Jesus is one with the Father before all things. This is I'm literally giving you scripture now. So the anytime you hear that, that's a 
I can't remember if that's Arius or not, but that's an ancient heresy that Jesus was a created being. He is not a created being. Uh, he is one with the Father before all things. Okay, now, that's the ones that were asked only of evangelicals. The rest of these are going to be fully just all Americans all the time. Uh, number, this is their, I'm trying to, here, I found it. Okay, so here's another statement. They asked all Americans, not just evangelicals, do you agree or disagree with this statement? Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Agree or disagree? 58, nope, I'm wrong, 69%. 69% of Americans disagree. Now, that doesn't surprise me. When we're dealing with the general public, there's no reason for them to think Christianly. But to be clear, and so that we can we can organize that well for folks and, and explain it, well, yeah, you, you think of a small sin, but there's really no such thing in the eyes of a holy God. I've given the illustration before. If one of you come to the WLFJ studio and you, don't do this, by the way, and you hit me in the face, it's not really big of a, big of a deal because it it'd be a big deal to me. But you're not going to be in that much trouble because I'm not a big deal. Now, if one of you go to one of Henry McMaster's events and you punch him in the face, you're in trouble because he's a very, very big deal. And the smallest of sins to a being, the God of the universe, Yahweh, God, an affront to him is a very, very big deal. There is no small affront to him. Here's one very troubling. But this, again, this is all people, not just evangelicals. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Do you agree or disagree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church? 58% of Americans agree with that. 30% disagree. You know, I recall in a conversation back when I was a teenager uh, working at a pizza place. So, someone actually was surprised. She was also she's probably in her early 20s. She literally never heard the idea that regular church attendance, being a regular integrated part of a church body, was a necessity of the Christian life. And I actually enjoyed being able just to explain that, uh, that this is a, a biblical imperative, that there is no, I'm, I'm choosing these words carefully, there is no biblical example of the Christian life lived outside of a community with other believers. Salvation is individual, but sanctification in the Christian life is meant and commanded to be done in a community of believers. Forsake not, according to your scripture now, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I could also just give you the better illustration of giving it before. I want to give it to you again, and it's a tool in your toolbox on how to explain these things to non-believers. If I go to you, gentlemen, and I say, man, I'm a big fan of you. Cannot stand that bride of yours. She, your wife, she is obnoxious. I can't, I just can't, I can't deal with your bride. But I like you a lot. This is the same logic of saying, God, I love you, Jesus. You're awesome. I love the example you set and the work of redemption you've done. But your bride, your church, I don't want anything to do with her and all her flaws. That's not how this works. It is a package deal. If you are a friend of God, you are going to be with the groom. You are part of the bride. You must be part. Uh, go be a part of that bride. So let me encourage you, if you are out there and you are unchurched and you call yourself a believer, careful. This is a reason to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you do not value the regular gathering with other believers, that's a problem. 
And in saying so, now with some grace, hey, you're invited to Beachwood Church as well. Greenville High School, downtown Greenville, 1030 Sunday mornings. Uh, There's no such thing as a Christian life lived outside of the community of a local church. Next, probably going to have to be our last one. Religious belief, here's their, this is their, uh, their sentence. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. 60% of Americans agree that religion is all about your personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. Of course, this can be easily defeated just with this. The different opinions contradict each other. So if one person says there is one God, Allah, and one person says, no, there's one God, his name's Yahweh, well, only one of them can be true, or both could, could be false, but they can't both be true. It's not a matter of personal opinion. There is objective truth in this. Objective truth is out there, and it's to be discovered, and we, we can discover it. That is out there, by the way, at the state of, the state of theology.com. TheStateOfTheology.com. I would love for you to go and review that and see where the state of theology is in the United States of America. If there's one that you, if there's one response or poll uh, result that you find troubling or interesting, send that over and we can talk about it some more. But let me emphasize: theology matters. It, it, it's not just I just want to worship God. I just want to feel things. Now we we worship in spirit and in truth, and therefore we need to learn the truth. Uh, so that's going to require involving ourselves in, in church attendance and listening to sermons and doing the reading. It is worth getting these things correct. We've done a lot of serious stuff. We've got more of that next week. Until then, let's move on to sports. Are you? We're going to finish up talking sports with our sports correspondent. His name is Keith Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. I have a all-Tigers sports segment here uh, we want to get to. So I'm the first set of Tigers I want to talk about. Hey, if uh, is it, what's going on with LSU? They seem to be um, a, leg- a legit contender. Like, I can see them making a run here to the playoff. Yeah, I'm glad they gave Ed Orgeron a little time to do what he needs to do. You know, um, he didn't have much success at Ole Miss. But he's he's perfect. He's perfect for LSU. I mean, if you just listen to him, you can tell he's perfect for LSU. He is. I love hearing that dude talk. You, yeah, no, I think he's got good talent there. Did you did you watch into that game with Georgia? I did. It. I didn't. I was at North Carolina University's homecoming, but it didn't look like it was deceptive, that score. It looked like they really beat Georgia into the ground. No, it's exactly how the score shows. Um, they dominated. Georgia could not run the ball. Fromm had a horrible game. I'm surprised Fields didn't. Take over. I really am. Um, yeah, the the ground game was bad. The passing game was bad. LSU just put it on them, and they never let up. This this season thus far, then LSU has wins over Miami, which looks less and less impressive over time. Overrated. Um, yeah, but that, that went at the beginning of the season. We all thought, hey, that's huge. What a great win for them. Yeah. Uh, and then they beat Georgia and and, and Auburn, right? Yep, and Auburn. There's not a better resume right now in, in college football. No, there's not. I mean, to me, they've got to be a top. Five team, and they have such a hard schedule coming up. You know, mm-hmm. it really filters out all right. the wannabes from the from the true contenders. So we'll see, but they look good to me. Before we move on from that game, for Georgia people though, mm-hmm. they're not out of this thing. If they win out, which would mean beating an Alabama or a an, or an LSU in a title game, right? Georgia's still a playoff team if they win out. Yeah, right. if they win out, I don't see why they wouldn't be. Uh, but you know, you play two quarterbacks, you have to talk about two quarterbacks. So. I think the Justin Fields conversation is coming. Yeah, they're ha- they're probably going to have to do it. They're forced into it. Yeah, they're forced into it yeah. because they've let both of them play. 
Yeah. So you've got this kid sitting there who's, you know, he's an all-world just like Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in competition for each other for one and two players in the, you know, Elite 11, all this stuff. Yep. So uh, you're going to have to have that conversation at some point. Then another set of Tigers, those Auburn Tigers. Going into the season, I thought people thought they were going to be the second best team in the SEC. Auburn has been overrated since the preseason polls came out. I mean, they just have been. Stidham is not as good as people want him to be. He's yeah. just not. Since the, uh, what was it, the the kick six with Auburn and Alabama, Gus Malzahn is like, was it 24-24. and 24. He's a 500 coach since that game. That's incredible. That's a great stat. You're, yeah. you're dropping knowledge on this thing. Well, uh, you know, I, all these teams come out and they're super hyped, and you're, but they haven't proven anything yet. You know, looking thinking back over since then, that was like 2015. Right. Their best year was last year when they lost to UCF. He's a dead even 500 coach since that game. This feels like the year that it might be it for him. It just, it might be. Just to feel that I way. I mean, they put a lot a lot of hope in Stidham and – I mean, he, he's good, but he's he's severely overrated because he's got, quote-unquote, the arm talent that he looks yeah. like an NFL quarterback. That doesn't mean he plays like one. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season, hey, halfway through the season, Auburn's going to have three losses. Yep. No, they're not. But I mean, they could go 6-6. Six and six. It's a very real possibility. It's very real, and it's becoming more real, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, the, the, uh, the wheels seem to – they could possibly fall off of this thing. Right. And they don't. Ha- it doesn't get much easier. I think their wheels were shaky before the season started, and they're they're falling off mm. now. Uh, that final set of tigers, we, we we might get to revisit. You know what? Let's revisit since we have some extra time here. Uh, South Carolina hung with A and M. I saw the score. I saw none of the game. Right. Uh, so was it as close as twenty six twenty three says? No, it was really the first half versus second half. Oh, okay. A uh, and M was just dominating in the first half. Bentley looked like Bentley has been looking lately. Mm. He did end up with three touchdown passes in the second half. But, um, I mean, Williams-Brice is not an easy place to go win. No, it's a um, great environment. It's a great environment. So, you know, Texas A&M is good. It's not really hung on South Carolina they lost. I mean, I don't I don't think anybody thought they were going to beat A&M anyways. No one was picking South Carolina right. in that game. But uh, kudos to them for really hanging with a great, uh, with a great team. Uh, final thing here, since Clemson didn't play last week. Oh, it, wait, what oh, about please do. the Tennessee win? Who did they beat? They beat Florida. Did they really? Yes, they did. Tennessee beat Florida. They beat Auburn. No, no, they beat. No, they beat. Yeah, it's they Auburn. beat. Was Al- it Auburn? It's Auburn. Oh, that's, we just talked about that. It's their third yeah. loss. <laughs> their third loss. Yeah. Flo- Flo- I can't remember who Florida played, but yes, that was the um. This the that's right. Vanderbilt was beating Florida yes. through the whole game, and then Florida yeah. came back and won. I'm sorry. I have a Tennessee Vols fan on my Twitter timeline, and uh, after the beating Auburn, he was like, "All is forgiven for the last ten years." Yeah. Beaten all- <laughs> I was like, I don't think you should go that far. Uh, mm. It's one big win. I think it was an 11-game losing streak in the SEC, I yes. think, yeah. is what I saw. Tennessee's not been good for a while. No, they have not. Uh, okay, so previewing this Clemson-NC State game. So you've dropped some knowledge. Gus Malzahn, on 500 coach into pick six. Yep. I went back and just looked at the results. The NC State-Clemson game has been very close the last three years. Yep. Even 2015, it took like 56 points to beat them. Yep. They, they They scored on Clemson demons. Like and that crazy. was in NC State, wasn't it? That was their place. Yep. Uh, and then there was the game they qu- they had a field goal to win and didn't. Yep. And then last year, there was an interception at the end. They had the ball right. down seven with a chance to drive. This is a team that plays Clemson very close. Why do you think that is? Is it just stylistically NC State does what does well, what Clemson struggles with? Not this year. You don't think it's going to be close? No, I don't. I do. Because they lost all those dudes to the NFL. Chubb yeah. is not there anymore. He plays mind games. 
none of that stuff. Now they do have Finley is a good quarterback. Sure is. Uh, he is. I think you should give credit where it's due. I just don't see it this year. Now that was a worrisome game the past probably past five years for me in my mind. Yeah. Uh, this year not so much. For me it it has been stylistic that the thing like when Syracuse does well against Clemson, there's one thing they don't defend particularly well because it's hard to defend. If you have a very accurate quarterback, you can throw the, get it out quickly. Then those four offense the defensive linemen they don't matter. They can't get back there. Yeah. And you you challenge the the DBs not deep but challenge them short. But what's what's NC State's offensive line going to do with Clemson's defensive line? Well, that's the thing. That's why they eliminate that problem by right. going balls out, balls out, balls out. Yeah, I, but I don't think he's that style of a quarterback. He, I, he's, well, he did it last year. He did it last year. He did well. But there were a lot of factors last year that aren't there this year for me. Well, number um, 11 is gone, that receiver. Yeah. He's in the NFL now. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, yeah, they lost a lot, a lot of talent. Yeah, he, Those receivers last year were actually quite good. Right. Uh, he's still got that great quarterback. I think they're going to key so much on trying to stop Clemson's running game that's going to open up the wideouts, the tight ends. Trevor Lawrence is going to have a day with them. Uh, I think Clemson's defensive line is too strong for their offensive line. I think they're going to be in his face the whole game. I think he's going to be jittery and skittish. That's what I think. Let me get, to give you a score <laughs> a score on this. Okay. I think NC State puts puts points on them. Okay. I think they put thirty on them. Twenty eight to thirty, somewhere in there. But I just think Clemson puts forty five on them. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking Clemson thirty eight forty five somewhere around there. NC State's more like seventeen twenty three for me. Your game would be more fun. Well, I don't know. I like competitive <laughs> games. Yeah, I do too. I, mean, I, they're, I just they're fun to watch for the NC State this year. I just don't see it. I don't see that coming. Um, I don't know who South Carolina has this coming week, but they. Uh, I, I, otherwise, I would tell you and maybe preview it a little bit. Um, but that NC State team is going to be ranked by the time the poll comes out, probably a top fifteen team against a top five team. It's one of the bigger games of the week. Yeah, it's it's going to be a big game. I, but you know me, I don't like the three thirty games. Be- but. You do. Yeah. Well, I, we have to go to sleep, man. Uh, it's, that's just a – South Carolina plays Florida next. The, you know, their, their place are Columbia. I believe it's at, at the Swamp. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Florida's gotten better and better every week. Oh, no. that No, they don't. That's November the 11th. I'm sorry. They play Tennessee next. Well, that's winnable. I believe that's at uh, South Carolina, too. Tennessee is riding high. Right. Uh, that'll be a fun one to watch. All right. We've run out all out of time. Thanks for coming in and doing sports. I appreciate we'll it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody. Peace and love.